There we go. That's, not, that's more like it. We're going to have to have campfires and hamburgers and hot dogs on Saturday nights more often. You guys are all awake and ready to go. Very good. Well, the kids, what's, uh, oh, you ready for that, Debbie? Next week. All right. Everybody at Debbie's house next week. Uh, so the kids are going to be with us in the service today. If you don't have, uh, Cindy has some bags prepared in the back for you with some activities for during the service so you can help follow along. And then uh, we will have Sunday school for the kids during Sunday school hour, even though Cindy's out of town. She's helping her daughter move, and, uh, but Abby's going to be leading Sunday school today, so that's, that's still going on. I did want to point out that in your bulletins today um, and last week, we have um, a new uh, card with a reading schedule on it. Uh, I think most of you know that we're going through the story. Uh, we're reading through the scripture, and we have two different tracks that we have available for you. Some of you have other reading programs that you're doing, and that's great. But if you're looking for something to read as far as the scripture goes on a daily basis for your devotions, for your Bible reading, uh, this is a great way of reading through the Bible. And we have two tracks that we're offering. Uh, the first track is our central themes track. It's kind of going through the main, the main story of the Bible. And uh, this week, we're, we've just started volume two, as we're calling it. Uh, we finished the books of Moses, and now we're moving into Joshua and Judges, some of the historical period of Israel. And uh, there's a weekly schedule there for you that has um, about, uh, what, eight, seven, seven weeks on there, plus our memory verse. And then on the back, you'll find our whole Bible track for those of you that would like to read through the entire Bible in these seven months. Uh, and then also, on the back of the sermon notes, you will find that we have, uh, I split that up into some daily readings for you, so that if you want something that just gives you a little bit of a guide for uh, reading each day, that's also available. So I just wanted to point that out, and uh, as we start volume two today, uh, those are some options for you that are there. Let's start with a word of prayer today. Father, we come before you once again with grateful hearts, uh, with uh, songs of praise, with our prayers lifted up, and uh, we come to you as our God, our Creator, our Savior, uh, the one who loves us, the one who has given us your Holy Spirit and who fills us, who's baptized us into the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for your, your grace and your mercy. We thank you that we're here, that we get to be a part of a group of believers and worship you together. Uh, Father, I pray that, that as we continue this service today and continue in our worship, might you be pleased with our attention to your word. Might you be pleased as we lift up our prayers and our praises to you. Please be with us this day and glorify and honor yourself. Amen. Well, if you are joining us for the first time today, uh, we are in a 31-week series, as I just mentioned, where we are working through the story of we are working through the story of the entire Bible. If the story of the Bible was a house, um, it's not our objective to decorate the walls and pick out the furniture, if you will. In fact, we're not even going to be putting windows or hanging siding on the outside. We're just building a frame for how the whole thing is put together. And what we're trying to do is in 31 weeks to explore the central story of the Bible and then hopefully come to a better understanding of how that framework is put together. Today we're beginning the second volume of our story. Volume 1 set the stage for the rest of the story. It told the story of creation, and it told the story of God choosing one family, one nation with whom He would dwell, and, and He would be glorified and honored through that one family. We've seen over and over 
God's desire to be with His people? Have you noticed that phrase that's used throughout so far? God keeps telling people, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And He displays that in some very tangible ways. We saw that in the garden. We saw that in Israel when God pitched His tent right there in the middle of their camp. We saw how God chose a man named Abraham. And, and, and He made some incredible promises and those promises were inherited by his descendants who became slaves in Egypt. And then through a series of, of some incredible signs and wonders, God delivered them from slavery and through a period of wandering in the wilderness. And so, so we come, we've come all the way through the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, and we've covered at least 2,500 years of history. In volume two, we are, we're going to discover the growing pains of this nation that God chose. As we start today, Israel is camped on the east side of the Jordan River, and across, across that river lies this land of promise that God has made. And so over this next seven weeks, we're going to watch uh, Israel follow their new leader, Joshua. Uh, we're going to discover the period of the judges, and we're going to learn about the first three kings who led the people and united the kingdom. And along the way, we, we've been learning several key words, right? We have all have those memorized now. Hopefully, we've practiced them a few times. We've been learning several key words to kind of help us build uh, this framework for the house. And so, so far, we've memorized eight, and I've printed them on the back of your sermon notes today so that if you, if you want something to reference, uh, you can look at those and maybe practice those a couple times this week. Um, but again, let's review those together. And so once with your notes and once without your notes really quick. So let's go through those. We have creation, fall, flood, Babel, patriarchs, Egypt, Moses, wandering, and Joshua. That's right. You guys are looking at notes. I don't have it up here though. All right, now one time from memory with nothing in front of you and your nose put down. You can't cheat. Creation, fall, Joshua, very good. That patriarchs is the one we kind of stumble over, isn't it? It's kind of that big word. Uh, basically, this means fathers, right? Well, that leads us to Joshua. Uh, Joshua is the next key word. Joshua is the name of the next leader of Israel, who is Moses' successor. And Joshua is the name of the book of the Bible that we're going to be in today. The name Joshua, does anybody know what it means? I think I heard it. What was that? The Lord is my salvation. The Lord saves. Good, good. It's a Hebrew name that later on is going to be pronounced a little bit differently. And so you, know, you actually know another character from the Bible that has the same name, but you pronounce his name a little bit differently. Does anybody know who that person is? Oh, you got it. That's right, Jesus. Yeshua. Uh, the Lord saves. God is our salvation. And uh, do you only think God gave Jesus an appropriate name? Yeah. The Lord saves. Well, when we left off last week, Israel was camped on the east side of the Jordan River. And, and Moses recounted the law to this new generation. And at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we learn that God calls Moses up to the top of the mountain. And, and while he was there, God shows him uh, all of the land of promise from a distance. Let him see it before he died, and then he was buried there. In the first, book, excuse me, in the first verse of the book of Joshua, uh, we read this. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Can you imagine filling those shoes? Can you imagine God coming to you and saying, hey, okay, Moses is dead, and now you're going you're gonna to pick up where he left off. It's your job now. Zoiks. Moses has been leaving the pe- leading the people for, for 40 years. And now Joshua has been called to lead the people into Canaan. I don't know about you, but it would be a daunting task. But, but we've all faced tasks like that, haven't we? You ever had something in your life? You just went, I, I have no idea uh, how I'm going to even begin this task. The task is just absolutely overwhelming. Maybe it's something that God led you to and you, and you just thought your, to yourself, oh, how in the world did I, did I get here? What am, I, what am I going to do? Now God, in His grace, comes to Joshua and He shows great kindness to Joshua. And before they set out, God starts him off and He gives him just the encouragement that he needs. Look at what He says to him in verse 5. God comes to Joshua and says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. There are those words again, right? We saw it throughout the books of Moses, so it's, it, it's not, it's not going to stop with Moses' books. Be strong and courageous. I will be with you. It's a promise that was that early on it was not only expressed it not only expressed God's desire to to walk with his creation in the garden and have a relationship with his people but those words also expressed God's desire to live among his people and to guide them on a daily basis to guide them on the way that they should go here in Joshua those words are a comfort and a reminder to us that no matter what God commands us whether we're Joshua or the church living in the 21st century, no matter what God has given to us, whatever His commands are, God is still with us. And that last command that Jesus gave to the church before He ascended into heaven, Tammy just read that a few moments ago. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's bigger than going into the land of Canaan and following Moses, isn't it? Jesus is ready to leave His disciples. He's going to ascend into heaven. He says, I'm with you. I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to give you another helper like me. But I want you to go and do something. I want you to go change the world. No small task. Just go change the whole world. Go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them everything that I've commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go. It's a daunting task. You look at just DeWitt. That's our task. God has given it to us. Go and make disciples. You need to be telling people about Jesus Christ. We as a church need to be telling people in the workplace, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. You are the messenger that God has sent. God is with us. He's still with us. And like He said to Joshua, the encouragement is ours. Be strong and courageous. You know, those early disciples, like us, it sometimes, I, I imagine, felt like Jesus had left. You know, they saw him go up into the clouds, <laughs> felt all alone. He's gone. But Jesus promised and said, I'm with you. 
And so as we pray that Eastern Iowa becomes a changed region, as we spread God's Word and we preach the good news, do that knowing that we still have that same promise that God gave to Joshua and that Jesus left to the church. I'm with you. Those words so beautifully express the heart of God, do they not? They're encouragement to me. Now throughout the narrative of these first several chapters, um, we discover three keys that God gives to Joshua and the Israelites that is going to lead to their success. I want you to understand that these three keys are true for all of God's people across all time. The, the application of these three keys is a little bit different for Joshua and the early Israelites, but the principles behind it are the same for you and me today. And If you use these three keys in your life, you will experience God's blessing and enjoy the success that He intends for you in the Christian life. The first is that we need to be people of the book. Listen to the promise that God gives to Joshua. We're going to jump to verse 7 in that same chapter. Again, he repeats, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For Yahweh, your God, is with you wherever you go. Can you imagine what great comfort that brought to Joshua as he's getting ready to lead these people across the Jordan River? Do you hear how many times he repeated that phrase? The, the Lord will be with you? I think Joshua might maybe needed to hear that, didn't he? How many times he, he inspired courage and says, be strong and courageous. But the key to experiencing success throughout his life and, and his calling was to be careful to do according to what was written in God's Word. Now for Israel, what was, their, what was their book of the law? What was their Bible? It was just these first five books. Moses had left what we call the Pentateuch, the book of Moses. These five books of the Bible were, that was their Bible. That's all they had. Now today, God's revealed so much more to us including the the life and the ministry of Jesus. Today we have a more complete understanding of God's salvation that was brought about through His Son who who died on the cross for us. We have both the Old Testament and the New Testament, 66 books. All all this God's given to us that we might know Him even more. The promise is still the same for you though. It's still the same. Whether you just had, you're an Israelite and you're going into Israel and you only had five books of the Bible, or whether you're living in the 21st century and you have all 66 66 books of the Bible, the promise is the same. Meditate on this. Meditate on this book day and night so that you may be careful to do all, to do according to all that is written in it. My friends, I guarantee to you I want you to hear me. I guarantee to you, if you devote yourself to being a person of this book, 
if you devote yourself to being a person who reads and studies and meditates on God's Word, you will experience success in the thing that God, things that God calls you to do. You will experience joy and a blessing, the, the blessing of a life that is filled with by God's Spirit, and your life will be found to be overflowing with rivers of living water. I guarantee it. Over this next few chapters of Joshua, we're going to read about how they obeyed God's Word. They did this. Uh, how encouraging is it? You know, we think of Israel's history sometimes, and, and sometimes we think of all the, the disobedience, the failures, all the times that they remind us of us sometimes. Do you ever kind of keep on stumbling through life? And, and you look at the Israelites, and, and it's easy to look at them and go, oh man, they blew it there. And then it makes you kind of think, oh, yeah, I kind of do that too sometimes, don't I? And we have to learn from those lessons. But what an encouragement to come to Joshua and to see a, a, a time where God's people are going into the land and they walk in obedience. And, and wow, the things that they did uh, as they f- followed this command to meditate on God's Word, to, to do everything according to all that's written in it. And they saw that success throughout Joshua's lifetime as long as they obeyed and as long as they continued to do this. There were a couple of tr- stumbles along the way, and we're going to see one of those here in a few moments but here's a generation that followed what the Lord had commanded them to do. And so over this next few chapters of Joshua, we read about how they obeyed God's Word. We, we see how they sent two spies into the land. Does it sound familiar as well? What happened 40 years earlier? They sent 12 spies in. And 10 of them came back. And they all came back and said, yeah, it's great out there. But 10 of them came back and said, there's giants. The cities are fortified. We can't go in there. And the people were, were discouraged and they said, oh, well, we're going back to Egypt. We need to find a new leader. They tried stoning Moses. And, and the consequences were great, weren't they? That entire generation, everyone that was 20 years or older except for Joshua and Caleb died in the wilderness. And so this time, Joshua sends two spies in. Um, was it you, Angie, that was talking about this earlier this week? The two spies? Somebody mentioned to me that thought it was interesting that, uh, that they sent two spies in and uh, only they only needed two spies, spies to bring back a good report um, and how God was encouraging them through through these two and it was maybe a, a little bit of an echo and a nod to to what Joshua and Caleb had been faithful to do 40 years earlier and so they sent these two spies into Jericho and this time they come back with an encouraging report and the people listened to that report and they're encouraged, and they, and they obeyed the Lord. They entered the land. And just like God parted the waters at the Red Sea 40 years earlier, now God parts the waters of the Jordan River, and they cross on dry land. They march around the city of Jericho exactly as God commanded them to. They did, not, they did that for seven days, and on the seventh day, they marched around it how many times? Seven. And, and then they shouted, and they blew their trumpets. And the walls fell down. They watched God accomplish victory for them. They didn't even have to go in and, and, and win the battle. God did it. Unfortunately, in chapter 7, though, they discovered what happens when they choose not to be a people of God's Word. When they choose not to live according to all the things that are in it. One of the things that God had commanded them when they went into Jericho is God says, this, this is going to be the first fruits, and everything from Jericho is mine. And so I want you to know that going in, and I want you to know there's consequences if you disobey this. And so with Jericho, you're to destroy all the animals. Nothing is to survive except for that, that one woman that, that, um, 
that harbored the spies and, and, and asked for God's mercy and was faithful. She believed. God protected her family, but everything else was to be destroyed. All of the gold and the silver and the treasure, all of that was to be taken to the treasury of Israel. No one was to keep any of it. And, and so they, uh, they won the battle. But one man, one man looked out. His, this individual's name was Achan. He saw a cloak and some silver and some gold. And he coveted it. He saw how beautiful they were. And so he took them and he hid them under his tent. And so at Jericho, they saw their first major victory and it was a complete victory. But because Achan disobeyed God's word, they end up seeing their first major defeat in the next battle. The people go out. They said, we were only going to send part of the army and they go to the city of Ai and, and there they, they lost 36 people in battle. A defeat, complete defeat. And so when Joshua asked the Lord why Achan's sin was brought to light, how seriously did God take this? You see, 40 years ago, the people disobeyed, and what happened? They paid the consequences for an entire generation. And so here they are, going into the land, and, and again, someone comes along and says, I'm going to do things my way. I'm not going to live according to the law of God's Word, the, 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 what's instructed in this book. And so God says, I take this incredibly seriously. And the way he expressed it was that Israel had transgressed his covenant. He didn't just call out one man and say, Achan transgressed my covenant. Israel transgressed my covenant. And Achan's sin was so serious that God called for his execution. Here at the beginning of the battle, you see God has called his people to conquer the land. And one man's sin brought destruction to several people brought a defeat for the people and i'll take a little side note here actually you know um oftentimes people ask questions about you know israel going in and conquering the land and uh there, there's questions about battle and god calling this nation to war and, and how all that works and, and i want us to look at this in a little bit of context though um a lot of people say well okay so they went into canaan and they were supposed to completely destroy everything and god called the israelites to, to wipe out the peoples of that land and then god gave them that land and so this, this has raised, raised a question for some people, but I want you to understand that for hundreds of years that God had been patient with the people of Canaan. And so the people that lived in this land, God had waited for, for several hundred years. Remember when the promise was given to Abraham? How many years was that? Five years? Ten years? A couple generations? The 600 years ago, God promised Abraham, he says, this land, all that you see here, look as far as you can see every direction, and I'm going to give this to your descendants. And 600 years have gone by since Abraham was first given the promise. The Israelites had lived down in Egypt for a time, and God had given the people of the land opportunity to repent. When, when the people go into Jericho, uh, we're, we're told that the spies asked Rahab, um, they were talking to her, and she says, the people's hearts have melted. They heard what God did at the Red Sea. And this was 40 years ago. And so all the people of the land, they've heard what God has been doing. And there's an opportunity for them to repent. Rahab is one of those that says, I, I, I want to believe. I want to be a part of this. And God showed mercy. And so God does show mercy to those that come to Him in faith. But for hundreds of years, the people of Canaan 
had continued in their wickedness. And, and what we learn from history and the little bits that we've found in archaeology and what we see from Scripture is that the people of this land and their wickedness had grown worse and worse and worse rather than turn to, to repentance. They were sacrificing their children in fire, I mean, literally, putting their children in fire and sacrificing them to their gods. Idolatry and violence and rampant immorality was pervasive in the land of Canaan. And so after hundreds of years of opportunity to repent, God chooses to bring judgment on the people of that land, and he appointed Israel to conquer the land. Now, now I want you to understand that this doesn't give us the freedom to say, you know what, we're, we're going to go and we're going to do the same thing. That's not what God commanded us to do, is it? There was a specific program, a specific reason, and a specific judgment that God called Israel to be part of that judgment. And he used them in giving them their land to bring about uh, the judgment on the land that he was uh, judging their wickedness. But in the process, God wanted Israel to see what they were going into. And he wanted them to see that you are going to be different from the people that have lived here. You are going to be different because you are going to be a people of the book. People who read God's law. You're going to be people who meditate on God's word. You're going to be people who obey God's word and walk according to all that's written in it. And you're not to, to continue in the practices of the people of this land. And here at the beginning, Achan violates that. And God says no. And, and so, after the events of that day and after their next victory, uh, Joshua 8, chapter 30 to 35, excuse me, verses 30 to 35, tells us about an event that took place. After Achan's sin, after they go into the city of Ai and they accomplish a victory there, and, and it is pronounced, it's pronounced Ai, okay? A couple of people have been asking me about some of the pronunciations of some of these, these names. Uh, you heard me in the last few books talking about Mount what? Where they received the Ten Commandments? Mount Sinai, all right? Some of the, we always say Sinai, right? But. Um, they, they lived in the desert of Sin, and so the mountain that was in that desert was Sinai, and so it's pronounced uh, officially Sinai, but it's okay if you say Sinai. I, I'm not going to get too offended by it. Um, and, and the A-I at the end of Sinai is pronounced with an I sound, and so when you come to this city that only has two letters, A-I, for some reason in English, we decided, you know, it's just not right to pronounce that, that as one syllable, and so we call it A-I. Have you ever heard that? I, I, growing up in Sunday school class and in my church, it was always pronounced A-I because it's just, I don't know, we just want to do something like that with English. But, but just like Sinai, uh, I is pronounced just I by itself. More than you paid for today, right? Well, after the sin of Achan, after his execution, and after they accomplished victory at, at I, uh, Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 to 35 tells us about an event that took place. And I'd like us to read it together because this was an important ceremony that took place that was a visible reminder to them, a visible display to them of the covenant that their fathers had made and that they had reaffirmed and that they were reaffirming together as they were going into the land and starting this new journey. It was a visible reminder to them that they were called to be people of the book look at verse 30 it says at that time joshua built an altar to yahweh the god of israel on mount abel just as moses the servant of yahweh had commanded the people of israel 
as it is written in the book of the law of Moses. An altar of uncut stones upon which no man had wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to Yahweh and the sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. By, by the way, many archaeologists believe that we've, we've found that altar. Um, and, that, uh, and we've also found portions of the law that was written on those stones. Uh, Kurt um, Bauer was sharing an article with me that he found. It had been a few months ago, wasn't it? Um, about uh, they, they, you know, this altar that they found out there. And, and they've been looking for it all this time. And, and they've been looking for this altar maybe the size of the pulpit or the stage. And, um, and, and they kept walking past this structure. And it was kind of, you know, just out there. And they thought, well, it must have been a house or a building. Well, it turns out this altar was, was enormous. And, and they found little tiny pieces of, of um, was it lead? Uh, and, and they had inscribed in tiny, tiny letters God's word in this lead. And they found some fragments of some of those things. And so that might have been what's t- being talked about here. But um, really fascinating. But I want you to understand, I mentioned that because I want you to understand that, that these are not just make-believe legends. This isn't King Arthur stuff that, you know, may have been somebody who's true, but most of the stories are, eh, you know, might be, maybe not. No. Now, this was God's story that met man's story in real history. Verse 33 goes on and it tells us, in all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with the elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Now, what they're referring to here and and what was being read was a command that was given in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Where Moses had charged the people saying, when you cross over the Jordan, and so I want you to do this. This is a special thing that you need to do when you get over there in Israel. When you cross over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. And he mentions Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. So six tribes that stand on one mountain. And, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And so six tribes stood on the other mountain. And and there the people declared their intention that day and said, we will obey the words of God's book. Amen. Let it be true, they said. But it it was more than just a ceremony that took place. It was more than just sacrifices that they made as they as they started this journey together. The the whole event there at Mount Gerizim and Mount Abal was a physical display to the entire nation of what it looked like when you obeyed God's commands and what it looked like when you disobeyed God's commands. Because God had promised them in Deuteronomy and part of the covenant with Israel was if you obey, these are the blessings that you're going to experience. And if you disobey and you don't follow my covenant and the words of this law, then these are going to be the consequences, the curses of that covenant. And, And so six 
tribes stood on one mountain and six tribes stood on the other. But what's interesting about the geography of that land is that where the Ark and the Levites were and where, where the law was being read, it's actually a natural amphitheater. And so if you stand between those two mountains, the, the sound goes up and you can hear it all across the valley. Whatever was being read down at the bottom. It's just, it, it just, you know microphones needed. Uh, God had built it all into the mountains. But not only was it a natural amphitheater, both of the mountains were a physical display of the covenant itself. Because Mount Gerizim is this lush, green mountain. I mean, green according to Israel's standards, okay? So don't, don't be thinking the Mississippi Valley, all right? But there was grass, there were trees, there were bushes, there was life. You could take your sheep up on that mountain and, and, and feed them there. You could... Your kids, while you're, all six of these tribes are, are gathered on this mountain, your kids could play in the grass and, and, and have some, uh, you could sit down and have a soft place to sit. Mount Gerizim was lush and fertile. It was covered with grass and, and things that were green. But on the other mountain, where the other six tribes stood and where they listed the promises of the curses, Abel was rocky. Barren, not a place that you take your, your flocks. It was a reminder to, of how it would go for their nation if they didn't obey the words of this law. They would experience success according to God's plan if they walked according to all of God's words that He had commanded to them. And Mount Gerizim and Abel was a physical display to the people of what that looked like. They were to be people of the Word. The second key of success, though, in the Christian life and for the Israelites that day was that we need to be people of prayer. Now, the word prayer doesn't actually appear in the book of Joshua. We do see some prayers. We, we see them calling out and crying out to the Lord. Uh, but throughout the book, we find examples of Joshua and the people praying. And, and I could briefly just point out an observation from several passages of Joshua. And then I'd like to draw a parallel to our walk of faith today. In Joshua chapter 3, uh, we have this account of Israel crossing over the Jordan. So I'm backing up a few chapters from, where, from chapter 8. But the people cross over the Jordan River, and one of the prominent features of that passage is the Ark of the Covenant. You, you've all seen it. Indiana Jones found it. Bad things happen when you open it. Really do, did, but, but not Indiana Jones. That, that was a fable, by the way. Um, so here's this box. It's plated with gold. It has angels covering it with their wings. Um, and it was carried by the Levites. There, were, there was room for these poles that went through it, and, and they would carry it wherever they went. And this ark was a physical representation of God's throne in their midst. When the camp was moving, the Levites carried it from in front of the people, and when the camp came to rest, the ark rested in, and, and it was put in the Holy of Holies where God's presence came down and it dwelt. And they put it in the tabernacle. Remember what the tab tabernacle was? It was God's tent. God dwelt among them, and so that was God's place. And that Holy of Holies was where that, that glory came down and, and we saw that pillar of fire and, and all that uh, resided over that Ark of the Covenant as if it was sitting on the throne. Remember, He was there with them in the camp. And there God's presence rested in a very tangible way, right there in their midst. 
it was a constant reminder that God was with them. And whenever the ark went ahead of them, it was a tangible reminder that God went ahead of them. He was the one who was leading the way. In Joshua chapter 3, the passage specifically points out that as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of Yahweh your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. When the priests set their feet in the water, we're told that God heaped up the water in a, a small town upriver called Adam. And um, far upstream, and the water is piled up, it says. The priests carrying the ark walked across on dry land, and, and all the people crossed the Jordan. It was as if God was saying, I'm paving the way. You follow me. We're going in together, and I'm going ahead of you. In Joshua chapter 6, several times references made again to the ark and, and as it circled the city of Jericho. The over. Oops, are we there? Okay, lost my microphone for a second. The passage repeats over and over again how the priests carried the ark and the armed men walked before them. Again, there was a very tangible reminder to the people as they, as they fought their first battle at Jericho that God's presence was accompanying them every single step of the way in joshua chapter 8 when the people reaffirmed their covenant at mount gerizim and and mount abel the ark stood between the two mountains near the altar and here's the point god went out of his way to physically remind the people the very tangibly with this display of the ark and his glory and this pillar of fire that they would experience success in the things that he called them to do if he was with them. And I'd briefly like to draw a parallel to our walk of faith today. Probably one of the most tangible ways that we, that we acknowledge God's presence in our lives is through prayer. We don't have an Ark of the Covenant we follow around. At least I've been here for nine years. I haven't seen it anywhere. Um, but a very tangible way we, we, we follow our God in, in prayer. We, we recognize His presence among us in prayer. And, and in faith, we, we call out to this God. A lot of people think we're crazy for it, don't they? You speak to your God. He actually listens to you. We had a politician that was made fun of nationally because he said, I talk to Jesus. People hear that and they go, what? We believe it. We talk to Him. We pray to Him. It is an act of faith in which we say our God is with us. And though we don't see Him, though we don't hear Him audibly, we have His book and He speaks to us and He guides us and His Spirit indwells us and we pray to Him because our God is with us. Amen. Every time we call out to Him, we are honoring Him as the One who accompanies us. Every time we call out, we are honoring Him as the One who goes before us with just as much reality as that ark went before the Israelites that day. Friends, much of what we seek to accomplish, much of the ministry that we carry in His name, much of the, our, our lives which we want Him to bless when we, uh, what we do, with, we often do without even acknowledging His presence or seeking His wisdom. We're asking for His blessing. How often do we say, I, I'm going to do this for the Lord, and then we don't even talk to Him about it. 
most tangible way that God has given to us to acknowledge His presence among us, to acknowledge His blessing over your ministry, His ministry that He's doing through you. Too often, we see the promised land on the other side of the river. If I can draw the parallel. Too often, what do we do? We see the promised land and we jump in the water and we start swimming and sinking usually. And Jesus is just waiting for us to ask. Friends, we must be people of prayer. God commands it. God desires it. He wants to walk with us. He wants to be with us. And prayer is one of, those way, one of the ways, one of the most tangible ways in our life that He's called us to experience that. God beckons us to enjoy the fact and the reality that He is a God who is with His people. Just a side note, next Sunday night, we've got a prayer meeting that the prayer team has scheduled. It'll be an amazing opportunity for us to call on our God. You'll be walking obedience in that way. So I encourage you to be a part of that. The third key of success in the Christian life is that we must be people who identify with Him. In Joshua chapter 5, there's this section of Scripture that often gets skipped over where God commands Joshua to make flint knives and to circumcise the sons of Israel. We kind of skip over that stuff, don't we? But it's an important passage here in Joshua, and I'd just like to draw attention to it for just a moment. Joshua chapter 5, verse 4 says, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt, and though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. And here's the problem with that. Do you remember what we talked about? We talked about covenants. What's a covenant? It's a, an agreement. Uh, bigger than an agreement though, right? Um, it's a, a contract, but bigger than a contract. In, in our culture, what's probably the uh, the covenant that we celebrate the most often. Marriage. And that's pretty serious, isn't it? Uh, and, and so this covenant that God makes with Abraham was just as serious, even more so. And so he makes this covenant with Abraham. And God makes these incredible promises to Abraham. Promises that, that depended on, on God alone. But God did give Abraham a, a command to follow. And it was a command that all of his descendants were also to follow. They were to circumcise their male children. He pointed them to a practice in which they would be physically marked. They would be reminded every day. It was called the sign of the covenant between God and His people. And if Israel refused to circumcise his son, it was essentially the same thing as that individual, as that Israelite saying, I don't want my family to be identified with the God of Israel. That's pretty offensive, isn't it? Highly offensive. It's so offensive that when Abraham failed to circumcise his sons, we read in Exodus chapter 5-ish, 4, 5, 6, somewhere right in there, Moses didn't circumcise his two sons, or at least one of them. And what happened when he was on the road? It's a really short passage, and it's got some weird stuff going on in it. It's an amazing passage, though, and it says that God met him there and tried to kill him. Moses had disobeyed, and God says, look, you're going to be the leader of Israel, the leader of these people of my covenant, and you have rejected the covenant yourself? And God 
had him in a death lock, it says, and his wife by circumcising their son. And so it was a huge issue that all the people had entered the land that God had promised in, in His covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And here was this nation that was about to receive the land of the promise, the land of the covenant people. And for 40 years, they had not been following one of God's first, God's first commands that marked them and reminded them that they were the people of the covenant. So this was a big deal. And so there at Gilgal, as it's going to be called because of what happened there, after they crossed the Jordan, they stopped and nation chose to be identified with the God that had made a covenant with them. Now, this is not a command for the church. Uh, circumcision was a sign of the covenant between God and Israel's descendants. Uh, the New Testament makes it very clear that Christians are not required to follow the same practice, although they may if they choose. So, the book of Joshua, Joshua, though, I understand this is a big deal. And before the people could enjoy success in entering the land of promise, it was a mandate that the people chose, the people chose to identify themselves with their God in the manner that He had commanded them to do so. That raises a question for us, doesn't it? If, if this is not a command that Jesus gave to the church, then why in the world is Pastor Jeff making a big point of this, right? Why are we talking about this? I, I point this out because Jesus did give another command. And it's a significant one because like circumcision was for Israel, the command that's given to us is also a physical expression of a heavenly reality. And Christians are commanded to participate in it. Did God take it seriously when Israel disobeyed it? Absolutely. Does God take it seriously when we disregard it? Absolutely. Jesus commanded us right before he ascended into heaven to make disciples of all nations, and part of that mandate was to baptize new believers in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, baptism for the church is what marks us as believers is a tangible expression in which someone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ declares to the whole world, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He died on the cross. And when I am baptized, it's a picture of me dying to my old self and being raised with Jesus Christ to new life. And that baptism is a physical picture that reminds us of what we believe, and it's a declaration to the whole world that I belong to Him. I belong to Jesus. And when we refuse to obey Him in this, it's the same as refusing to obey one of the first commands that He's given to you as a new, as a new Christian. To refuse to obey Him in this is to refuse Him in the manner in which He, he calls us to identify ourselves as belonging to Him, as being with Him. Becoming a Christian but disobeying Him regarding baptism is like getting married but then saying, ah, I'm not going to wear this ring because I don't want to be seen identifying with this person. I mention baptism from time to time because it's my call as your pastor to call all of us to obey our Lord 
in all that he's commanded us. And it's important. It's important for you. It's important for the church. How can we expect to enjoy success in the Christian life? To experience God's blessings in ministry, in life, in your walk with him if we're not willing to obey one of the very first things that he's commanded us to do. My friends, our Lord desires to bless you. He wants to bless you. And I'm not talking about health and wealth and prosperity and uh, in the things of this world. Sometimes he blesses you in those things as he sees fit, but that's, that's not the focus here. Those things are useful, but they're fleeting, aren't they? They pass away. The blessing and success to which I'm referring are the blessings of His kingdom that we enjoy today as He dwells with us. As we enjoy Him and we take pleasure in Him. Success comes when we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Success comes when we are filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Those are the things that we are blessed with. So might we, be follow, might we follow in the pattern of the Israelites who walked before us many centuries ago. In the book of Joshua, we see them do that well. Let us be people of the Word who are strong and very courageous. Let us be people who are careful to do according to all that He's commanded us. Let us be people of prayer who remember that our God is the One who must go before us. And as often as we fail, um, and oftentimes we fail because we don't heed the counsel of James that says you do not have because you do not ask. God sometimes doesn't bless because we don't come to Him in prayer. My friends, let us be people who identify with our Lord and do so in the ways that He's commanded us to. For He's worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Amen. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the example that we learn from the book of Joshua. What a beautiful display of, of what it looks like when Your people do according to all the words of this book. These were people of the book. They were people who understood that You were with them. And they witnessed that. Just as we can through prayer. They were people who identified themselves with you. Give us strength each day that we would follow in that pattern, that we would walk in obedience, that we would be people that would walk in faith, knowing that your grace is what sustains us, your grace is what enables us to continue on in the Christian life, just as it began a good work in us when we put our faith in you. And you called us to yourself and you redeemed us and gave us life. Glorify Yourself in us, we pray. Amen.